Would you remain standing and pray with me, please? Lord, as your servant John prayed, God, may I now decrease. Jesus, may you increase. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the title of this sermon is, You're Going to Have to Wait. The other day I got into my, or a couple weeks ago, I got into my wife's truck uh, to go to the grocery store to pick up a few items. And uh, as soon as I started the truck, I began to, to back out of the driveway or to turn around. And lo and behold, what comes blaring through the radio speakers? But Burl Ives, have a holly jolly Christmas. And before I got turned around in the drive, honestly, the song continued to play. I was like, you know what? That's enough of that. I, I cut it off drove up the road in silence. And later when I came home in conversation with Dana, I asked her, I said, sweetheart, I said, um, what's up with the Christmas music in the truck? You know, we, we haven't even, it's two weeks away from Turkey Day, okay? It's just so soon for that. And, I, and she, she responded, she said, well, Kira and I have been riding around listening to that. And I said, well, can't you guys wait? And we kind of continued on through uh, just normal conversation after that. But when you walked into Christchurch this morning with all the greenery and the candles, one might also be inclined to think that it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. But my guess is that opening song this morning that Carla and Ryan played along the slideshow with its stark depictions of what's wrong with the world in terms of suffering, in terms of violence, the abuse, the death, and evil that is in this world may have some of you coming here this morning saying, you know, something to the effect of, look, I don't go along with the over-commercialization of Christmas and all that, but good night, guys, come on. I mean, is Grumpy Cat, Scrooge, or the Grinch running the show here this morning? Because it seems like you're really trying to take away our Christmas joy. Beloved, that's not our intention. But I do want to tell you this morning, it is too soon for Christmas. You're going to have to wait. See, the church has entered the season of Advent And Advent is not a pre-Christmas celebration of peppy festivities like a pre-game tailgating party before the big game day of Christmas. No, Advent is a time of acknowledging and repenting of our sin and the sin that's in the world before we celebrate the first coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on the Christmas feast day of December 25th, or on December 25th. And Advent is also a penitential time. It's a time of preparation. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of yearning for the second coming of our Lord. When our Lord will return. And as we say in the creed, to judge the living and the dead. Or as good Bishop N.T. Wright states it, the second coming of Jesus Christ is when God will come again in power and glory to put the whole world to rights. And so, beloved, we kind of live in this tween time during Advent. And Advent is this season of waiting with unsettled tensions. Tensions between the harsh realities of the now in the world. The now being our sin, the world's sin, death, chaos, disorder, destruction. Things like ISIS and the things that we saw in that slideshow. And we sit kind of in the middle of also of what will one day be when Christ returns to put the world to rights. 
In Advent, we sit in the tension of the already, the, the work that Christ has done on the cross and his resurrection for us, and the not yet when Christ will return, and as Revelation says, makes, he will make all things new. And so Advent is this living between the times of darkness and light. You know, if you're outside, you may have noticed right now, we're beginning to enter into the shortest period of the season of daylight outside. But each Sunday, we will light more and more candles on this wreath until finally we celebrate the light of the world. That is Jesus Christ coming to the world who will drive back all the darkness. And so the question I want to address this morning in this homily is simply this. How do we live in the tensions of Advent? How do we live between the what is and the what will be, the present darkness and the future light, the already but the not yet? And our Old Testament reading from Jeremiah 33 that Katie read a minute ago shows us implicitly really how to live in the unsettling and unresolved tensions of what is now present in the world and what will one day be. See, Jeremiah was a prophet for some 40 years in Jerusalem around 625 B.C. And to be honest with you, people didn't like his preaching. He only had two converts, and one of those guys worked for him. I guess he didn't have a choice. But why didn't people like Jeremiah's preaching? It's because over and over, Jeremiah issued powerful warnings to God's people that they must repent of their sin and turn to the Lord lest they come under God's judgment. Well, why was God going to judge them? God was going to judge them because of their covenant infidelities and worldwide sin against God. See, if you go back to Jeremiah chapter 32 uh, to get a little bit of context, you'll find that God's people basically were living in that time as if God did not exist. The people of God were corrupt. The city of Jerusalem was corrupt. The leaders of of, of of Jerusalem were corrupt. The priesthood in the temple is corrupt. And things are really, really bad. In fact, it's so bad, God's people are actually sacrificing their own children on the altars of Molech something of which Leviticus strictly forbid. Well, for years, people ignored Jeremiah's preaching and warnings. But guess what? Judgment did come. In 605 B.C., the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem. They came in and carried off many of its inhabitants into exile. Then again, in 587 B.C., as if the first one wasn't enough, the Babylonians came back for a second round of conquest, and this time left Jerusalem in ruins. The Jewish inhabitants were scattered and driven from their homelands. The Jewish elite of artisans and professionals were forced to live as a conquered people in Babylon and be in service to Babylon. Their way of life was completely dismantled. They had no sense of security And they were never sure, or were not sure they would ever see their beloved home of Jerusalem again. Beloved, it was the end of their world as they knew it. (laughs) And they didn't feel fine. To play off the REM song in 1987. That was Jerusalem's experience with Babylonians. What would that be like for us today? It would essentially be like, imagine ISIS coming to the USA, conquering our government, taking over our military, taking all your land, taking your children and everything else of value and forcing you or everyone else to work and be in service for the caliphate. 
talk about dark times. That's what Jerusalem experienced. And beloved, I have to imagine, I, can't ima- or I, I can imagine what some of the prayers of God's people in Babylon must have sounded like. Probably something to the effect of this. God, we're your covenant people. Where are you in this? God, you make covenants and promises to Noah and to Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon. We are your chosen people. Why is this happening to us? You told us that you're going to choose us to rule and reign and dwell in your perpetual love. God, have you broken your covenant with us? Lord, you've led us. Time and time again, in fact, you led us by pillar of fire by by night and cloud by day. You've swallowed up our enemies at times in the ocean. Why have you forsaken us now? I have to imagine they also were crying out, will we ever see our beloved city, Jerusalem, the city of peace, again? Friends, there are probably similar prayers of Christians in the Middle East right now. Suffering at the hands of ISIS, while we oftentimes in America sit and twiddle our thumbs in light of the devastation. Have to imagine those people crying out, Jesus, you said you would never leave us or forsake us. Where are you now? Jesus, you say you will not leave us as orphans. Where are you in this? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Perhaps maybe you're here today. And your prayers may sound like some of this right now. Maybe there's a lot of darkness around you in your life and you're wondering where God is in the midst of it. Maybe you're asking, God, have you given up on me? Have you given up on us? Is that you today? Stay with me, okay? For those Jewish exiles carried off into Babylon, there was a great gap between what they were seeing and living out at that time and the fulfillment of the covenant promises of God. It certainly did not look like God was doing much, to be honest. But beloved, it's in the midst of this dark situation that Jeremiah gives a hopeful message, a message of light that redefines reality for them. Listen to these words again from Jeremiah 33. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch, he's talking about Jesus there, to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this will be the name by which it is called. The Lord is our righteousness. What is that passage about? Beloved, Jeremiah is talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ to his people. In the midst of devastation and exile with no evidence other than God's word and the promise of God from the past. Jeremiah proclaims to God's people that a new reality is coming. One day, another ruler will come. That is Jesus. In the midst of their mess and the world's mess, to sovereignly rule and reign with perfect justice and govern his people. Everything he does will be perfectly righteous. He will correctly punish the wicked and he will give full vindication to God's people. 
See, beloved, Jeremiah gives hope of an alternative reality in the midst of calamity. He promises the restoration of Israel in the midst of brokenness. He promises the practice of justice and righteousness while injustice and righteousness is all around them. And he gives a promise of flourishing in a land that God has promised that would be theirs. But here's the thing. It did not happen immediately. God's people had to wait in faith. Because, see, Christ didn't come until some 400 years later after Jeremiah had said this. But nevertheless, Christ did come. See, in love, Jesus came and conquered their greatest enemy and our greatest enemy, the enemy of death, by his life and his resurrection. Christ came and vindicated his people by dying in their stead and in our stead and paying for our sin on the cross. And friends, he made a righteous people for himself by giving us, his people, his righteousness, so much so that when God looks on us, he does not see our sin, but instead sees the righteousness of Christ covering us. And when Christ came or comes, he sets us free and liberates us to live a new life empowered by the Holy Spirit that is pleasing to him. But at Jeremiah's time, they had to wait 400 years to see Jeremiah's prophecy come true. Talk about your unsettling tension. I mean, friends, listen, Advent, it's only four weeks, not 400 years. We oftentimes can't wait four minutes in the express line to check out at the grocery store. And beloved, I think this is why so many people struggle with Christianity. We really do live in the between times. Those saved by Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and his toning work on the cross... We still have all this darkness in the world and in our midst, in our lives, and we struggle with waiting on God and trusting God that one day he will fix it, that he will make all things new. So how again, how again, how do we live in this tension of Advent between what is and what will be? Present darkness, future light, the already but not yet. Well, let me ask you another question in light of that question. Did Jeremiah's words to God's people come true? Did a righteous branch from David spring forth? Yes, it did. Jeremiah proclaimed the first coming of Jesus Christ, and it happened. See, God was faithful to his covenant promises to his people. Okay, great. But what about where we live today? There's so much hurt. There's so much pain. There's so much sadness, so much despair, grief, brokenness, fracture, anger, violence in this world. Sometimes it looks like God may be absent. Well, listen, just as Jeremiah proclaimed Jesus' first coming and it happened, listen to these hopeful words from God, again, to show how things will one day be when Christ comes back a second time to put the worlds to right. Then I saw, and this is from Revelation 21, then I saw a new new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the whole city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall no more be, or death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, 
I am making all things new. You hear that? Just as Jeremiah proclaimed the first or the future first coming of Jesus Christ, so John in Revelation 21 tells us what our future beholds at Christ's second coming. The hope of Revelation 21. But friends, it can only be lived out right now in faith to trust in God's promises and in God's goodness. Waiting sometimes with little or no evidence other than God said it. That's what God's people in Jerusalem had to do. And beloved, that's what we're called to do today here in Advent. See, living in contentment in the tensions of Advent between the darkness and light and what is and what will be and the already but the not yet really sounds something like this. It's when we come to the point of saying something along these lines, that God, God, though I can't see it in the present darkness, and in the present evil and sin in the world and in my own life, God, I'm going to trust your promises that one day that all the hurt, the pain, the sadness, despair, brokenness, anger, and violence in the world and all my contributions to it will all one day be made right when you come back, Jesus. Jesus, when you come back to rule with perfect justice and perfect righteousness, when you come back to judge the living and the dead and to put the worlds to rights, Jesus, I'm gonna trust you to do that. Beloved, it's not Christmas yet. You're going to have to wait. Christ is coming again, but you're gonna have to wait in faith. In the meantime, in preparation for our Lord's coming this Advent, may God now call us to examine our lives, to confess our sins, and with the help of God, repent and change our attitudes and actions that father injustice and sin in the world. This Advent, may God give us the grace and ability to right the wrongs we have committed against others and other people and our others and our neighbors. And may God give us the faith to wait for his coming again in the unsettled tension of Advent while we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Beloved, he's coming, but you're going to have to wait. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.